0: Early in my uh, pastoral career, I was only a couple of years into it, I was at church one Sunday and I saw a young boy standing near the entrance of the sanctuary looking rather bereft and bedraggled, sad, really. I went over and introduced myself and asked him his name. And he said, My name is stupid. And I said, well, (laughs) I'm sure that isn't your real name. What is, tell me your real name. And he said, well, you can call me whatever you want, but everyone calls me stupid. And with that, he walked off. A little later in the day, he was standing at the entrance to the church, with a man I understood to be his father. Now I don't know what preceded this moment but I witnessed the father turn a very ugly face to his son and say, my God you are just so stupid! And just at that moment the the boy looked up and caught my glance and we held it for a very long moment, a knowing moment and then he just shrugged his shoulders and walked out the door. That happened a lot of years ago as I mentioned and at the time I remember thinking I had just witnessed something very important, it was not to be missed or forgotten. Not that it was a very large thing, right? I mean, it's a very small little moment. But it felt like it opened a very big window onto a universal human tragedy. And it has stayed with me all these many years later. Now you know about this tragedy. You know it's permutations. You know how people are trained from the time they're powerless little persons to doubt their essential worth. And how in turn over years, their fragile egos and insecurities lead them to prop themselves up by putting others down in myriad ways, from the exquisitely subtle to the outright abusive. And so we pass this human tragedy from one generation to another generation to another generation and so on as the eons progress. Now all of us participate in this universal conspiracy often unwittingly without so much as a nanosecond of reflection. It's part of the struggle between races and classes and religions and genders and orientations and any of the people we wind up defining as the dreaded other. We all have the dreaded other. Can't deny it. These tendencies are so ingrained we're often unconscious of our own complicity in the tragedy. Now, as this has been brought to our attention, broadly speaking, we have tended to assign a solution to professionals psychologists and sociologists and educators to sort out for us. To look at the tragedy from the lens of social science so that the scientists might then engineer certain cures. We develop elaborate methodologies for instance around self-esteem for instance I don't doubt for an instant that social scientists shed light on this and offer palliatives, but but you see, I, this is a very much larger problem than their tools can fix by themselves. And that's because at the heart of this problem, it's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual problem. It's about our identity and our sacred work. Now, in the gospel lesson, we heard a story with a different outcome. If you were paying attention, you recognized it was also a story about a certain parent and a child, in this case, a father and a son. We're told that a man named John was baptizing people at the Jordan River. Some among the crowds flocked to John, thinking that he might be the Messiah, the one to lead them to freedom. But John's clear that another is coming who is more powerful than him. So while John is doing his thing at the river, Jesus comes to be baptized. And afterwards, the story paints this rather surreal picture that has captured pious Christian artists for centuries. I bet some of you grew up in a church that had a picture of Jesus being baptized with a dove coming down out of heaven. And maybe the words were inscribed, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. That's what the voice says. Now contrast that with, my God, you're just so stupid. You see, at its heart, Christianity is unequivocal about the centrality of love Love is the glue, the force, the grace, the very life and breath of God. In fact, life is one of love's primary outcomes. The child we will baptize was conceived in love for the sake of love. Love is the essence of the life force and has its genesis in the creator of all things. Love alone has the height and the length and the width and the breadth and the depth to embrace suffering. It calls for courage and integrity. Which we're so bereft of today, right? The way our scriptures speak of it, love is the medium through which all things have come into being. And it defines God's very nature. So, in our scriptures today, the Father says to the Son, You are my beloved. You are the one I love. With you I am well pleased. And Jesus, of course, will say, all of us are children of God. Relating to such a God as this leads to the conclusion that each of us is cherished beyond time and measure. Each one of us, each one of us. And if this is true, you can see then that the father in my little opening story was suffering, frankly, a spiritual disease. He was suffering spiritually. But even now, from this clinical distance, I don't want to pick on him. It's too easy to heap blame on an easy mark. Because the truth is, let's face it, we're all easy marks. We all are. While we pay lip service to this lovely idea of love in most of us, in our heart of hearts, we secretly don't quite believe it. We can't quite believe that we are that valuable in the grand scheme of things. In fact, our routine earthbound associations lead us to believe just the opposite, that our true worth is suspect. I would tell you that there is a very good chance that the most successful among us, that is in the world's eyes, the most successful among us may be driven by the secret conviction that no amount of success in the end will prove our true value. And most likely this truth lurks in the gray haze of the unconscious because we don't want to face it. We'll drive ourselves, drive ourselves, drive ourselves, drive ourselves, proving that we by God are worth something after all is said and done. And worth something more than whatever anyone else is worth by the way. We keep our suspicions locked down about this where we believe they stay safe, yet they can't help breaking out from time to time like in a normal, normal exchange between parent and child on the way out of church. So you see why this transcends psychology. Our problem lies in our core, in our soul, with our understanding of the essential organization of the universe and our place within it, And by default, the place of everyone else as well. This is one of the principal things that this sacrament addresses. In a few moments, if we're wide awake, we'll see how far and how deep it actually intends to reach. If we pay attention, we'll be reminded of what the deepest truth is, namely that, Every one last one of us has a sacred genealogy that reaches all the way to God. And if we listen very carefully as a drop of water touches our face, we might hear a voice that says, You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my child. I love you very much. With you, I am very well pleased. And if that seeps all the way into our souls, you see, then starting from the inside out, we'll find ourselves changing, literally becoming what we are in our essential nature. Children of God. For one thing, we'll become increasingly conscious. More and more, we'll discover how we have capitulated to the power of fear and attempted to prove our worth either by our own striving or by propping ourselves up by putting others down. We'll become increasingly dissatisfied with that way of life. You know that's why we find those we find unacceptable, right? Right? We find others unacceptable so that we find ourselves more acceptable. That's why we do it. We'll find the patterns of fear of others in our culture unacceptable. We'll find ourselves caring more about how well we receive those who have been rejected By the way, this very issue is what's splitting the United Methodist Church apart. This very thing. We'll be thinking less about ourselves and more about others. Right here in the central act of initiation of our faith is a revelation of the complete truth. Imagine that, that we feel unworthy is understandable. In the presence of such love, a humble sense of our unworthiness is a completely natural response. Most important though is the full realization that God loves us with an everlasting love that inflated our lungs at the first, set our lives in motion, and brought us to this very moment where you are hearing these words about your sacred worth at the heart of all things and the sacred worth of every other person. Everyone who shares this space, shares our city, shares our world. There is not a grander or more important thing, I tell you, going on anywhere around town this morning than you're hearing either for the first time or the hundredth time the deep truth at the core of all things, that you are loved beyond your wildest imaginings. You, 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 you. You know why I use this as a benediction very often in church? Because we don't hear it. We don't hear it. We don't believe it, finally. We don't believe it. I could tell you you are be God's beloved till the day done and you'll doubt the truth of it our human nature it's our human nature by the way that's why it's a good thing to come to church often (laughs) I'm just telling you because why because you're going to hear the truth Here at Christ Church. You're going to hear it over and over and over again. Why are you going to hear it over and over again? Because again, we can't take it in the first time or the second time or the third time. Honestly, it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime of hearing that truth and getting rid of all of the old names we have for ourselves, like stupid or gay. or white or black or brown, or rich or poor, or immigrant, refugee, any of it, any of it. So friends, it's time to gather at the river that flows by the throne of God.